This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The scripture tells us that God is love. And because God is love, he decided to spread that love abroad by creating something called marriage. And he did that in the book of Genesis, chapter 2. He saw that it was not good for man, Adam, to be alone, and so he created out of him Eve to be his companion, to be his, uh, shall we say, soulmate, so to speak, uh, to be his assistant there as they lived together. They were to live in a kind of intimacy because, actually, uh, they had no clothes. That's right. They were naked and unashamed. But then something came along almost immediately after God married them and said that what man hath joined together, uh, what God hath joined together, man must not put asunder. And uh, along came a deceiver. It came in the form of a serpent who at that time apparently was able to walk and talk somehow. We don't understand that, but then that was in the time before the fall. And the first thing he did was to confront Eve. He didn't confront Adam, but he confronted Eve. And he said, hath God said? Now, those are the three most important words, or three of the most important words in the Bible. Hath God said? And they have echoed down, those words and that question is echoed down to our time in virtually every single relationship that we have, including our marriages. And our response to that question has led us to a massive divorce rate that began in Southern California in 1968 with Ronald Reagan and his no-fault divorce system that, in fact, he said was the worst decision he ever made. And it echoed on through the church in the 1970s through the so-called God is Love movement. And then it continued to echo on in various other ways taking over in the terms of the homosexual movement and then the transgender movement and every other movement that has defied and uh, desecrated, you might say, God's initial love right there in the Garden of Eden. It reminds me of a song that we used to sing, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. But how is it that we can share that joy and feel that joy when his Adam and Eve experience, no sooner did they disagree with what God had said, than they realized they were naked. They were no longer able to be totally transparent and intimate with one another or with God. And so they hid from him. Maybe this is the reason why so many of us hide from one another. We hide from one another in our marriages. We hide from one another in other relationships. Uh, Parents hide from their children. Children hide from their parents. Pastors hide from their people. The people hide from their pastors. It seems like we're all hiding. And underlined it all, we're hiding from God because we've lost the intimacy that we once had with him. So today on Viewpoint, we want to talk about this matter of intimacy intimacy. 
Now, in the last several years, there have been a number of books and people writing about intimacy, intimacy with God, saying, well, what it really means is into me see. Well, yeah, I suppose it does. But it also means into you see. Into us see. So today on Viewpoint, our special guest coming all the way from California, via the radio, that is, and via uh, the telephone, is Cindy Martin. And she is living in a beautiful area of California, uh, just outside of Yosemite, one of the most beautiful places in our country. Spent a lot of time there. And she says that we need to choose intimacy. That intimacy is not just something we have or something we get, but it's something that we have to choose. So with that in mind, I know Knowing you out there who are listening to this program, many of you have been listening for many, many years, I know that you want to have an intimate relationship with God, and you want to have an intimate relationship with your husband or your wife, and many of you are feeling that you're lacking in that area. In fact, an article just came out today, a study saying intimacy seems to be lacking everywhere. People are just not finding intimacy. They're not even finding intimacy in the sexual relationship. They're just having a hard time finding intimacy. I wonder why that is. Maybe our guest today, Cindy Martin, will have something to say to us about that. So, Cindy, it's good to have you on the program. Thank you, Chuck. I'm delighted to be here, and I feel honored to uh, join you for this uh, really incredible topic of of intimacy. Well, it's it's an honor to have you as well. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, and this is the era, uh, the, the time, and the season of love, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking back uh, in the era just after uh, my wife and I got married in 1966 in Southern California, uh, there were a number of songs that became very popular during that period of time, not only in California, but all over the country. And they were all very similar, very similar. For instance, and many people would recognize these. Here's one, lonely is a man without love, lonely is a man without love. Five times in the song, Engelbert Humperdinck sang, lonely is a man without love. Then Andy Williams sang a song, love is a many splendored thing. What a beautiful song that is, love is a many splendored thing. Then a fellow by the name of Tom Jones sang a song. All these were in the same period of time, about two years apart. Without love, I had nothing. Nothing at all. I conquered the world, but what then did I have without love? I had nothing. Nothing at all. And then finally, this beautiful song, Where do I begin to tell the story of how great a love can be? A beautiful story. God started a beautiful story there in the garden, and something horrible happened. Tell us about it. Oh, I'd be my pleasure. You know, I if you if you would allow me, uh, Charles, I I wanted to start with this story, um, and and then work my way backwards a sure. little bit, um, because I think that the story illustrates a lot of the points that I would like to make as we have our, our conversation sure. um, this afternoon. And the story is, uh, I was a pretty young 
lady uh, back when I was dating my husband. Uh-huh. Uh, we were both about 21. And uh, we got married and uh, at 23, which by today's standards is a little bit young. I know there's lots of people yeah. that do get married. Well, we married at, I was 21 and my wife was 20. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we were very young. Both loved the Lord. We met in a psychology class. Uh, wow. Had a desire. Yep. And you still yes. love the Lord? Uh, we love the Lord. I know it. And it was uh, <laughs> We're going to have to pick up on that, whether a psychologist can love the Lord. Absolutely. All right. We'll do that after this break. Friends, the book is called Choosing Intimacy, Exploring Christ's Model for Mutuality and Deeper Relationships. $20 is going to put this life-changing book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms, as always here on this program. And indeed, searching for intimacy in our relationships is a transforming thing. But it might also require some transparency on our parts. Our special guest, Cindy Martin from California, with her book, Choosing Intimacy. Cindy, you were talking about you and your uh, husband coming together over the field of psychology, and I was just wondering uh, how much love B.F. Skinner or uh, Pavlov's dogs or Freud had to do with love. Well, I'll tell you what. Good psychology, which means the study of the soul, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, yes, theology, uh, it always comes from good theology. And so everything that we look at in any field, in any discipline, whether mm-hmm. it's psychology, science, economics, I believe we have to look through the lens of Scripture. I Absolutely. Mean, we have the beauty of God's Word right. that, that gives us so much wisdom. But to get back to, and actually you had a great segue into what I'm about to say when you talked about transformation requires mm-hmm. transparency. And the story that I want to share with my husband um, and I, so we, we were in this psychology class, and uh, we, we both found out that we were taking German. We had a heart to go to Germany in missions. Uh, we, we had so much in common, so it started a process of dating and so on. And after about a year and a half, he asked me to marry him. And in this process, we, we went to a church, and we, our pastor, of course, that, that gave us our premarital counseling, was encouraging us to go into missions together, mm-hmm. and we were exploring that. Mm-hmm. Well, lo and behold, I got a uh, letter from the university saying that I had qualified the, the minimum qualifications for a Fulbright scholarship. Oh, and, wow. And my, my pastor said, hey, Cindy, what if God wants to take you there uh, a different route than raising support? What if the, the, you know, the scholarship might be the way God will send you. And so my husband and I talked about it, and he said, go for it. Let's let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. And I was very shocked. I was not really prepared uh, 
to receive it, but I did. I received it. And it was such an honor and such uh, excitement. Of, we both had wanted to study at the universities, uh, you know, of Stuttgart or Tübingen, uh-huh. which is where we ended up. But you know what my husband said? This is the transparency piece. Okay. My husband said to me, he said, honey, I have to admit something to you. I said, well, what? He said, well, I am very jealous that you got this scholarship, and I didn't. <laughs> okay. And I, I, you know what? I said to him, I said, Keith, his name is Keith, I said, you just gave me the greatest gift that I could ever ask in being open and honest and letting me know really what is in your heart. Mm. Uh, that was such a gift. And, and he said, you know what? God can lead through my wife. And I, you and I, we our, our, our Lord, our, he is our, he is our, our leader. Mm-hmm. And if he wants to lead through my wife, I am going to go. And he said, I'm going to support you a hundred percent. I'm going to start taking German again. We're going to get ready to go. Now he was working on his teaching credential uh-huh. at the time. And so he had no idea what he was going to do for a year in Germany, other than to study. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, of course, we did end up finding a, a German, a local German mission organization, mm-hmm. and we were able to actually partner with other Germans in their evangelism efforts in Stuttgart, which was wonderful. But the point is that I what, I didn't even know what a gift. I, I said it was a gift to, for him to be honest with me, but mm-hmm. I did not understand the gift of mutuality that he mm. just, gave me he said what god is doing in your life is as important as what god is doing in my life and together if we honor one another and allow god to develop our gifts and trust him to creatively have the best interests of both of us Mm -hmm. at his heart and not think it's just one or the other then God is going to do some really special things in, in our desire to serve him over. Well, isn't that exactly what the Apostle Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 5 when he began his discussion concerning marriage, saying, each of you submitting yourselves to the other in the fear of God. Now, That's exactly right. wives submit yourselves to your husbands and husbands love your wives. And it seems that that mutuality of submission just seems to get left out a lot. It does, and I think that the reason it does, uh, not to get too theological, but you already mentioned it at the beginning of the, of the show, uh, when, when did actually this competition start between men and women? In Genesis power? chapter 3. Exactly. God and said it was going to start. He said, you know, the, the woman is going to try to rule over the man, the man is going to try to do his thing, and there's going to be well, tension says- from now on your husband will rule over you yeah. as well as the wife try to control you. Exactly. And, and so it wasn't just one power struggle. It was two. The mm-hmm. human tension to lord power over others. That was not God's design. In fact, I was shocked when our pastor, the pastor that did our premarital uh, counseling, he first he brought us to First Peter and had us read about the uh, husbands and wives and also in Ephesians. And then when we got there, uh, I was surprised he didn't read that. He said, well, let's go to Genesis. 
And so we went to Genesis, and he said, I want you to see that originally God said, let us, and that is the Trinity, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make humankind, or man, in our image, male and female, according to our likeness. And here was the word I'd never seen before. Let them rule over Mm -hmm. that all of the, you know, the the creatures of the earth, the fish and everything. And he said, he said, Keith and Cindy, what I want you to see here is that God's original intention was to have men and women sharing power, not lording it over one another. And they, and God's intention was that they be in submission to the supreme authority of God. So then we have this hierarchy uh, where humankind is to be, in general, in submission to God as father, as creator. Husbands are primarily responsible initially as head of the home, but, but if they are not submitted to God, then there cannot be any mutuality of submission between husband and wife. Let me share something with you. I was My wife and I were uh, uh, asked to be marriage uh, speakers in a marriage uh, retreat there in Southern California many years ago. And uh, we were sitting there waiting for the lead-off event, a nice dinner, and we're going to have the lead-off event. And I could not for the life of me understand what God wanted me to say or do. I was utterly speechless. Now, that's tough for a lawyer, you know, to be speechless, but <laughs> but I was speechless. And so I'm sitting there in the hotel room, and I said, Lord, I, I've got to have some insight from you. And here's what happened. He led me to the passage there with Peter, and he said, Sarah called Abraham Lord. I don't know if you've seen that passage, but it says, Sarah called Abraham Lord. And I'm thinking about that, and all of a sudden he reveals to me that the only reason that Sarah could call Abraham Lord is because he was under the lordship of the Lord himself. So, the net result was that the message for the evening was to become a husband, I have to first become a wife. In other words, a man has to first humble himself as if he were a woman before God before he can expect his wife to submit to him. There's a mutuality of understanding there, and uh, my wife and I have been able to live that out now for 57 and a half years. And uh, it is, I would say, she would say, that it gets better every day. Mm-hmm. She said it today. It gets better every day. And that's it, wonderful. It's that mutuality of, of submission. There's no lordship over. It's a role that we each play, and we respect one another in those roles, and we are assisting one another together, doing the work of the Lord together. 
Isn't that Amen. intimacy? Amen to that. Yes, absolutely. It is intimacy when we can truly be together, honestly, who we are. I do want to, I hope you don't mind if I respectfully just, uh, just, just speak to one thing that you said that <laughs> recently, recently has really come to me and it's, a, it's kind of a, a paradigm shift and I, I didn't always see things this way, but it occurred to me, I was on John Piper's website and looking at the Trinity, because when I was reading, writing this book, I, I consulted with a lot of Hebrew scholars, Greek scholars, and I looked at a lot of wonderful uh, teachers of Scripture. And one of the things that said on his website, it was a guest uh, contributor that wrote, um, is that, if I think every theologian would agree with this, that those of us who believe in the Trinity would agree that these are three persons, right. not three roles. And that, in fact, reducing a person to a role really strips uh, the Godhead of the power of, of both the diversity of personhood and the unity. And so I'll tell you, I, in my counseling experience, I have seen so much uh, pain and suffering with people trying to fit into whatever their idea is or what they've been taught about what a role is to be the role of the wife, the role of the husband. I've had husbands who have you know, come and grieved over the fact they don't think that they are being the head of the house because they can't provide enough money for the women to stay at home and or his wife to stay at home. And, uh-huh. and so now his wife has to go to work. And, well, she's not supposed to be the wage earner. So well, that's what really goes to the mutuality of the relationship. Exactly. But what I want to what I want to encourage our listeners to think about is that if you're trying to put yourself into a role, and all you do is read uh, books that tell you what a wife is supposed to look like and what a husband is supposed to okay. look like, uh-huh. and even what leadership is supposed to look like, because Jesus was a completely different kind of leader. By the way, I'm I'm losing your your uh, connection here. Uh, keep your if you're using a cell phone, please keep it directly in front of your uh, of your speaker mouth. <laughs> gotcha. I'm gonna move. I'm gonna move. Where did you lose me, Tara? Well, it's it's just that it's breaking up. Okay, gotcha. I'm, I do apologize for that. I'm I am moving to a, hopefully a more a more secure spot here. Um, but in any event, uh, the thing that I I really think is so important is that. The creativity of our God, the God who said, let us, by the way, and not let me, not let me, God the Father, uh, but but let us, let us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us make human beings in our image. This is the we principle of mutuality and intimacy, mm-hmm. that there is a we, and any time that we cannot find a place, uh, and in fact, my husband, I have to admire him so much. Because he was willing to trust the creativity of God when I got that scholarship, and Uh he did not become competitive. He became compassionate and uh, cooperative. And some people would say, well, that's kind of you not being the head of your home. You're following your wife. Well, that's not the way it's supposed to be. But in his mind, no, actually, I'm serving my wife as Christ did. And together, that goes back to your comment about mutuality, 
we are mutually submitting to one another, mm-hmm. and I am being an example of what that looks like, right. you know. So um, I do. Well, if you if you, Cindy, in your uh, situation there uh, with that uh, Fulbright scholarship and all of that goes with it, uh, were to use that uh, as a device to superimpose yourself uh, and your new acquired power and authority over your husband, you would then be a usurper. Well, I think not just a usurper, but wow. I mean, I would I would be moving into the me, the me principle. Exactly. So there would be no more we, there would be only right. me. And therein lies and- the problem in our world. It's not just the me generation, it's the me, me, me generation. And how can you have intimacy in that regard? We'll be right back after this with Cindy Friends, the book Choosing Intimacy, $20 on our website, saveus.org. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. Uh, We're talking about intimacy, intimacy in our relationships, intimacy in our relationship with the Lord first, and then intimacy in our marriage relationships. And by the way, there is a kind of righteous intimacy in other relationships too, Uh, whether it's parent with children, children with parents. We've got to be careful about saying things like uh, intimacy between a pastor and the, and the parishioners because it leads us to a lot of other very trying and troubling issues. So we're not going to talk about that. Uh, but there is a sense in which, as human beings, God has called us into a kind of intimacy of relationship to display his glory in the earth. And the fundamental uh, aspect of that is our marriages. We've been talking about uh, the mutuality of submission uh, for a transformed marriage, and if we don't grab a hold of that, we're going to miss the whole ball game. We're just going to miss it. It's fundamental, and uh, we 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 cannot miss that. But then we need to talk about some other things, some other things that uh, will start to grapple down uh, in areas where we live that are very troubling, uh, oftentimes, and my wife and I this afternoon uh, had to spend a very significant amount of time in counseling in a situation where one of these issues came up and uh, not only has come up, but has been hovering over the entire marriage for over two decades. And it has to do with what God says in his word about 
husbands leaving father and mother and cleaving unto their spouse, their wife. So uh, we're going to open this up. Before we do, I want to make sure that you uh, have an opportunity to get a copy of Cindy's book, Choosing Intimacy, Exploring Christ's Model for Mutuality and Deeper Relationships, uh, $20 on our website, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. All right, Cindy, from California to Richmond, Virginia now, does God want husbands to leave their father and their mother and cleave unto their spouse so that they can be one flesh? Yes or no? Absolutely, yes. Okay. And But God also would say that wives need to leave their fathers and mothers and cleave to their husbands. Oh, wow. So turnabout is fair play. So mutuality is even there. Uh Aha. Well, I would agree with that. Now, the interesting thing about it is that men are usually more prone to be willing and able to leave father and mother. Uh, In fact, they're eager to do that oftentimes. Women, on the other hand, because of their emotions and so on, are not so prone. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the young lady that served us at a restaurant the other night. She says, I asked my mother about everything. <laughs> wow. Okay. So now she's not married yet, but uh, she's on the, on the edge of it. But uh, her mother is the authority in her life. So help us to understand this leaving and cleaving thing, because, quite frankly, a man who is addicted to his parents for whatever reason, whether it's money, whether it's authority, whether it's a job, whatever it happens to be, is going to have a broken marriage, isn't he? Absolutely. Uh, I, I can attest to that. At 40 years of marriage and 40 years of counseling, and I continue to see that. I would say, however that it's not just the emotions of the wife uh, that make it difficult because men do this cleaving to their parents differently than women do. Oh, okay. I'm not sure it's easier uh, for women or men to leave and cleave because it requires us to grieve. And this is something... To grieve? Why why should I grieve? You have to let go. To let go of anything, and that is to let go of mom and dad. Well, I let go of my mom and dad, uh, and and there was no grief involved that I know of. I was just thrilled. I had a a wonderful wife, and uh, where was the grief? Well, you might not. Well, maybe because you were able to leave and cleave, you might have let go of them in a different way than emotionally. <laughs> okay. You might have been able to let go of them because you were preparing for a lifetime of leaving. Oh. Uh, you know, people have different ways of grieving. It doesn't all look okay. the same. But, but the net result is the same. Okay. It's the capacity to leave and cleave. And so... Uh, what I have seen over and over again is that whether, like you said, whether it's financial, like I will see often uh, family businesses is where men get 
get caught up. Oh, yeah. They do not want to disappoint their father. They may have helped their father mm-hmm. do a lot in building a business. They may not see it as not leaving, but very often it, it takes the form of choosing that business, that parent's business, over their wife. And the, when when a wife sees that she is con and could, and by the way I, I could flip this over when the husband sees that the wife is constantly going back or choosing parents over the relationship not working through the conflict together but mm-hmm. you know looking for a way of escape not in working with the spouse but mm-hmm. is attempting to get advice from from parents and they get overly enmeshed. In the relationship, oh my heavens, there is one barrier to intimacy after another, and oh, yeah. it can take years to entangle that. As you, it sounds like you're already noticing that with this couple, um, and so to to it is so powerful, it is almost like a cocaine addiction. Yes, and under most addiction is undealt with grief. Underneath pornography addiction, underneath gambling addiction, underneath a lot of depression, anxiety, a lot of mental health struggles Hmm. can go back to someone's inability to cope with some kind of loss. Now, we don't always know what that loss is. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of times it uh, it could be even uh, a painful childhood that nobody wants to deal with because, hey, I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Uh, this I, this really doesn't have any impact on me. But if you find out that that husband who won't leave the family business feels the pressure that he will lose the acceptance, mm-hmm. he will lose the approval, he will lose uh, you know financial uh, assistance. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, all those three losses together become a barrier, and okay. he has to. Grieve and let that go. Hey, well, gonna I'm going to I'm going to present an alternative uh, thought to you on this. Okay, okay? we're we're okay. having an open conversation here. I love that. Yeah. Carol. I okay. Love that. Okay. Remember, I did major in psychology, even Good though I went you. to law school. So, <laughs> for whatever it were, it was worth. I majored in psychology. Okay. Well, it sounds like mine was worth a lot more than yours. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. Well, here's the deal. Uh, you're talking about it in terms of grief. How about instead of looking at it in terms of grief of loss, it's the unwillingness to accept responsibility for the future. What if the two go together? What if they do? Or the other. And that very well may be true, but it's not just one. It's not just this grief. Is, it's the unwillingness it's to step out and become the man that God wants you to be or the woman that God wants you to be and you fall back on what feels comfortable rather than on what God calls you to do. So what you're saying, uh, Chuck, is that we need to choose intimacy. Oh, now that's interesting because the title of your book says Choosing Intimacy. (laughs) Well, absolutely. So I'm going to bring you. I'm going to bring you to Jesus for a minute. Oh, I, I come on! You're, this is my I, come to Jesus moment. I know this is your come to Jesus. Moment. Okay. 
Um, I, I love this because, you know, when Jesus was in Gethsemane, yeah. he had to let go of his desire to have another way. Uh-huh. True. He wanted, he asked his father three times if there's any other way. Let this cut pass for me. Mm-hmm. And it said that he was deeply, deeply grieved. And I believe that this is a pattern that uh, we follow in Jesus' footsteps. When we have a hard thing, mm. whether it's an addiction, okay. whether you're addicted to your parents, whether you're addicted to a substance, whether you're addicted to wealth, whatever has become an idol in mm-hmm. your life, and mm-hmm. you're right, it is a choice. I couldn't agree with you more. But that there is also a choice to grieve, and Jesus did that. And I believe it's not only is, 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 is the pattern, but it's also the power, mm-hmm. because when you grieve, you're dying to yourself. Ah, okay. You're so you have to die to yourself. yourself. Well, it's interesting right. because uh, uh, my wife and I wrote a book in celebration of our 50th wedding anniversary called Lasting Congratulations. Love. Congratulations. Uh, Enduring Secrets for Marital Success. And in there is a quote. To be married, you have to enter into a divorce. You divorce yourself. That's right. Death to the flesh. Death, not, not the right. beautiful personhood that God created, but you you, you die to your flesh. Yeah, it's the, the self. Yeah. Way, mm-hmm. The me way every time. It's yeah. not interested in we. It's interested in having its own way. And we right. have to be... Uh, scholars of ourselves we have to know the landscape of our soul recognize and that's why i admired my husband so much when he could say i'm he's not an idol is he no he's not an idol is he because you said three times how much you admire him i do well good okay (laughs) just checking i i listen (laughs) if i if i had another hour i could tell you all about how we have had to lay so much down to continue to make Jesus Lord of our lives and Lord of our, our relationship. Uh-huh. No, there's not there's yeah. admiration because of who. That who that admiration follow. is good and that you make it public. We'll be right back I with Cindy to. after this, friends. We're choosing intimacy. Are you? That's what we're after here today. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. What a joy it is to come before you day after day after day to talk about the things that matter most from God's viewpoint. And God's viewpoint on our lives, our marriages, our relationships, and so on, 
are really the only thing that ultimately matters. And if we align ourselves with his viewpoint, then we might just experience a level of intimacy and joy that has escaped us up until now. And that's why we're having this conversation here today. Cindy and I are having a little bit of fun with it. And, uh, Cindy, I was just thinking, you're living out there uh, near the uh, entrance to Yosemite where the deer and the antelope play. And I was wondering, do you have any churches there? (laughs) Oh, yes. We have lovely churches out this way. Absolutely. Okay. Just checking uh, because... Because as I think about this discussion that we're having concerning our marriages, uh, it carries over into our churches. And you can't have intimacy within the body of Christ unless you have intimacy within our marriages. That's right. That's absolutely right. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So California, you know, God hasn't given up on California. <laughs> well, he, he loves us too out here. Yeah. Well, he he does. Um I, I could joke a little bit more about that, but I'll resist the temptation. In any event. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. Okay, we're leaving for cleaving, and then you talk about cleaving for connection. And that's, that's the right. next step. You're leaving, but there has to be connecting. You're leaving for that's a reason, and that is for connecting. So, what is it that's preventing the connection if you say you're willing to leave? What's preventing the connection yeah. between you and your wife if you say you are willing to leave? That's correct. Are, if if you say you're going to leave to cleave, then why is it that the connection seems to be so difficult? Well, I mean, I think we were really talking about this a lot. I mean, if you are... Uh, you are connected more to your parents. If you have a, a more intimate relationship with your parents than you do with your wife, mm-hmm. then you cannot you cannot really cleave and connect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and nor can you be creative, which is the third part of that that chapter in my book. So to to first of all cleave and then to connect means I have to now put a lot of energy. And so letting my wife, my husband, know who I am. Mm. Uh, and that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, most of the time, our parents know the good and the bad and the ugly, and certainly God does. But many times, we don't really share who we are because we can be very much shamed. In fact, if I had said to my husband when he said I was jealous, if I had said to him, what? I can't believe that. That is so selfish. How, how could you say such a thing? That's not right. <laughs> What would that have done? Jeff? Yeah, right. Well, it would completely uh, undermine everything that he was trying to communicate and uh, put a barrier between you. And exactly. that's unfortunately what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. Exactly. And what there's hiding and there's also blaming because what was the first thing that happened? Yeah, there started. was blame. Yeah, that woman uh, you gave me. Yeah, and Adam even yeah blamed God for giving uh, for giving this beautiful uh, this beautiful counterpart yeah. to himself. And, and look at the echoing consequences of it. It destroyed the intimacy of their relationship with their kids, and one of their kids killed the other one. Uh, yeah. I mean, what, when we really are honest about this, whole families are self destructing over husbands mm-hmm. and wives refusing to embrace and cleave to one another. 
Well, and I have to say, that's a beautiful segue into uh, this idea of what it really means to know and be known okay. by one another. All right. And I want to say that it, we rarely see this, or perhaps you have thought about it this way, um, Chuck, but when you look at that scenario with Cain and Abel, mm-hmm. don't you love that God goes to Cain and says, why are you angry? Now, a lot of times people see that as that God was mad. Why are you angry? No, 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 no. God was, just like when he said to Adam, where are you? God was inviting Cain into an intimate relationship with him where the two of them could discuss what actually had happened in Cain's heart. Instead, but Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? He refused to answer the question. Mm Mm-hmm. He refused to be vulnerable. He refused to be honest. And it led to murder. And that is such a picture of what happens in our marriages. And you can murder a marriage, too. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? You know what? Uh, The reality is that since 1968, uh, about a million children a year have been left virtual orphans by the murdering of their parents' marriages. Yep, yep. And I've seen some of those folks in my office over the years. Mm-hmm. And, and what I know about that, uh, Chuck, is that every person who has murdered another person has an injury that has not been dealt with. It's not come into the light. It's not been opened up so that there was prevention early on. Now, it was a choice. I don't give anybody a pass. For making a choice to murder someone, no. I wasn't even talking about actual physical killing. I was talking about killing the marriage. I'm I'm not just talking about killing marriage. I I have talked to the people that have killed spouses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I killed children. And what I I want to say about that, yes, you killed a marriage. That's bad enough. (laughs) But we were talking about Cain and Abel. It's not just limited to marriage. We're killing each other. Right. In Christian marriages, we're killing each other. And that is a lot because we refuse to bring the worst of ourselves before the Lord first, because he's the only safe person on the planet mm. who can really uh, deal with us in a loving and kind and, and, and compassionate way and still hold us accountable. Mm-hmm. Because I do believe in grace and truth, and they go together. Well, they Mercy do go to tra- together. It's not just a matter of grace. It's a matter of no. truth. Yeah, there's truth and grace, and I believe that one without the other is, is just, it doesn't heal. And I've seen plenty of that where people have given so much grace that uh, there and no accountability, and so the hurt goes on and on. And Absolutely, and so, it does. In fact, it's almost like murdering a relationship uh, when you extend right. grace without truth, uh, it's right. dis- it's disgrace, and this is unfortunately what's happened uh, in so many areas, even of the church today. Okay, now, Indeed. as we're moving toward the end of our conversation here, uh, you talk about transformed sexual relationships, and oftentimes, yeah. uh, probably most often, when people think of intimacy, they're thinking of the sexual relationship. So you have a a little phrase here, Linking verbal intercourse with sexual intercourse. Expand yes. on that. Sure. So I have found in my experience, and of course, there's exceptions always to 
my experience. But I'm only sharing from my who I am and, and what I've experienced. But I can't even begin to tell you how many couples have come to me over uh, disappointment, disillusionment, and pain mm-hmm. regarding their sexual relationship. Right. And it's often about uh, one person is, is more interested in having more sex than the other person. Right. Or uh, one person enjoys one kind of lovemaking, another person involves another. But interestingly Or one enough, person loves to make love to their children instead of their husband. Well, that's that. Is, I hate to once again say that the, <laughs> the level of. I hate to put it so crassly, but it's well, it's kind of like that. If you put your children above uh, your spouse, that is a, that's an intimacy killer for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hate to say how much genuine sexual abuse is going on in in home. Yeah. Uh, so that cannot be ignored either. But that's off the topic right now, I want to go back to your question about that with intercourse has to do verbal and sexual. What I have found is that husbands and wives are often not talking about their sexual relationship. They expect each other to uh, read each other's minds and read each other's nonverbal language during mm-hmm. lovemaking, mm-hmm. and they never discuss what is going on. That's, that's one aspect. The other right. is that often... It's that emotional intimacy of, of, of chatting, of sharing your heart, of having your husband or wife listen to your deep feelings and thoughts about what's happening in their current life. Uh, that is a cultivator. I mean, it, it is a foreplay. It's emotional foreplay. It's very powerful and not just for women. I have heard this over and over. <laughs> and, and I think it's such a, a fallacy. Men need emotional intimacy also different than women we're mm-hmm. different we're not the same uh made the same wait a minute you, you we're not the same nope nope we are very different but the way you're sure we are different yes okay positive. no no worries about that diversity right we go back to god loves diversity not sameness and he loves diversity in our relationships and us to be who we really are because he's made us so unique and it's not good to stereotype each other because if you think, well, and this is why pornography is so damaging, if you already have all kinds of images in your mind of what you're supposed to have your wife or your husband doing uh, in a sexual intimate uh, environment, mm-hmm. oh, then, then there's this incredible expectation, pressure. There's no exploration and, and excitement about what we as a couple can create when the two of us are honest and we both can say no. And I love that passage in First Corinthians because, once again, it speaks to mutuality it's when it says, well, the, uh, the wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but the husband does. But it also says that the husband doesn't have authority over his body, right. but his wife does. Why is that? So there can be mutuality. Right. And if the wife is saying no right at this moment, then there's a need for respect for the no. Yeah, well, with and, the pornography, the respect has already been destroyed. Oh, Because 70-plus uh, percent of professing Christian men admit to being involved in pornography. 34% right. of Christian women admit to pursuing feminine pornography. And yep. uh, over 30% of Christian pastors admit to being involved in pornography. So by definition, 
We have already refused to leave, to cleave, and we're cleaving unto ulterior alternate uh, spouses. Counterfeit. We're we're cleaving unto counterfeits, and uh, it's impossible to have a joyful, intimate marriage when you're cleaving unto a counterfeit. And what I've experienced with the men and women that I've worked with over the years that have struggled with pornography in their relationship is the men have been shocked at how intimate and how pleasurable uh, emotional intimacy can be when they have basically (laughs) made the commitment uh, to stop using and stop acting out. Mm. And they've been surprised. They just didn't. And and God created our brains in such a way that there's neuroplasticity. We can create new new pathways in our brain and heal. But attachment and connection is often the thing missing in the lives of men and women who are pursuing pornography or any other addiction. It's a Mm -hmm. self-medicating way to, to get a counterfeit. Uh, of intimacy. Well, one has said that uh, pornography is mental cocaine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of neuroscience that is showing that there's just, it's unbelievable the levels of, of neurochemicals that keep this behavior going. And, and we have to, it, it, we, we have to be willing to fight it and, and go through the pain of recovery. Yeah. In our relationship. Well, the God best way to avoid the recovery issue is not to get there in the first place. So, so if you're on your computer, if you're on your cell phone, you have a choice. You have a choice for intimacy or not. I have to make that choice every single day because as I search through the computer, I, I'm not opening myself to pornographic kinds of images or salacious images, but they're there. I can't afford to look at them. I can't afford to click on any of them because it will lead to perdition. And uh, that's how we avoid this in the first place. The best solution to intimacy is to protect it, isn't it? Absolutely. All right. Oh, absolutely. And to cultivate it. There you go. Cultivate. You've got to cultivate it. So we've got to choose and we've got to cultivate. That works. Choosing and cultivating intimacy, friends. $20, the book. On our website, saveus.org. Call us 1 800 Save USA. Write to us at $5 for postage and handling. Become a partner, friends. Do it today. The other guy's not doing it, so you do it. Listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.